Our scripture reading this morning is it's a little longer than normal, I would say, Luke 14, 1 through 25. And I'll just say, because it's a little bit longer one this morning, it's always helpful to have your Bible open to the scripture reading uh, to kind of refer back when the pastor is referring to different things. You can kind of check and, and keep a close watch. And I'm saying it because it's a 25-verse uh, section that it might be especially helpful to keep your Bibles open this morning to kind of keep track of, of what's going on. And I'll be referring uh, to different verses throughout the message. Uh, let us hear God's holy and infallible word, beginning at Luke 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And so taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. And then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat, and then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place, and then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. And here's the key here. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors if you do. They may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who have been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married and so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. That is God's word for us this morning. May he bless it to us. 
We're early friends in this new sermon series. We started two weeks ago by seeking to exalt Jesus as we explored five compelling pieces of evidence for his supremacy. Then last week, we dug into the idea of the sanctity of life. We saw how sanctity of life is rooted in creation. It's actually rooted in God himself. And we saw that since Christ's coming, that idea has turned our world upside down. And we explored a little bit about what it means to live that out today in our world, in our lives, in our church. This morning, the theme is making room at the table. And the gospel writer Luke tells us about a dinner party Jesus was invited to on the Jewish Sabbath. What do we learn about Jesus here? What exactly is he teaching? And what does that mean for each one of us and for our church? Those Answering those questions is, is the roadmap for our message this morning. First of all, these verses reveal to us that Jesus himself is the host of a banquet that is beyond compare. Jesus is the host of an incredible banquet. This is a little unexpected because the obvious host of our passage is this prominent Pharisee who invited Jesus to eat in his home. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They tended to be very hard on others no grace. Jesus and they did not see eye to eye. In fact, the Pharisees hated Jesus and they tried to end his ministry. We read early on that Jesus is being carefully watched and so this was an opportunity for them to find fault somehow with Jesus. And then almost right away, a man with dropsy shows up. Have you know what dropsy is? tend to call it edema today. It's a swelling of organs or an area of your skin because of fluid buildup. I can't go into it much more than that because I don't know much more. I don't know the underlying cause, but it's very, very painful, and it certainly can be. And who knows, this guy could have been planted by the Pharisees, this dinner on the Sabbath, as a way to trip up Jesus. We don't know. Regardless This guy was suffering with a very bad illness. Jesus asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? The law said you could only heal someone if their life was in immediate danger. That probably wasn't the case with this guy. In response to the question, no one says anything. And then we read Jesus heals the man and sends him on his way. It's striking. Luke writes this verse very casually, he writes it like it's nothing for Jesus. Boom, the guy's healed. He goes on his way. And the reality is, that is how much power Jesus has. He is fully God. He can heal just like that, and it's nothing. Jesus asks another question in verse 5, and it's as if he's saying, come on, guys, are you really saying it's wrong for me to heal on the Sabbath? The answer again, silence. They say nothing. And, and then Jesus notices how the guests picked places of honor at the table. And this is verse 7. They were really into this. Who was most important? And Jesus 
tells them to try exalting someone else instead. Take a less important spot and humble yourselves for once. Lift up those around you. Then Jesus speaks directly to the host in verse 12, and it's about not inviting the wealthy or powerful or his friends to a lunch, but the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And he says that's what will lead to God's blessing. If you do that, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, the end of time. And Jesus concludes this whole passage by telling about a great banquet where many people were invited. When the time came, the original guests give several lame excuses. That's the point of all the excuses. They're, they're just lame excuses, and they didn't come. The master tells the servant to go out on the town, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and the, laying around the alleys. They came. There was still more room in the house, so... The servant went out to the country lanes to bring people in there so that the master's house would be full. The the reference to the resurrection of the righteous and this final parable of the great banquet, it's all pointing us somewhere other than to just an earthly dinner party. This is language for heaven. This is language for the end of time. Jesus takes control at the party in the Pharisee's house. He's showing us that he's the host of a banquet that's coming one day that's going to be so amazing we can't even imagine it. And it's referring to eternal life. And he's teaching us some important lessons about who's going to be at that banquet. Who's going to be around the table? He's telling these guys and us who he is making room for. We're being shown that Jesus' gracious love makes room for many, including people we might never expect. The downtrodden, the social rejects. It's interesting how pushy Jesus is at this dinner party. Yeah, we're up to the next point if you wouldn't mind, Mike. Thanks. It's interesting how pushy Jesus is at this dinner party. If you think about it, Jesus is making things really awkward. He asks them a couple questions early on. There's silence. Anybody with some social grace would have stopped there, right? And and realized that he was making everybody really uncomfortable, but then he just keeps going. And I'm sure the host is thinking, I sure wish this Jesus would... Just be quiet now so we can enjoy our food and eat in peace. But then Jesus turns to him, the host, and he tells the host what's what and who he should have invited. And then in verse 15, someone tries to insert something, tries to have a conversation, tries to bring up a point. Jesus totally ignores that person's point. And he goes on to tell a parable. What is Jesus' deal here at this dinner party? He's running roughshod over these people. He's dominating the conversation. He's being downright rude. Pastor Matthew and I had our annual evaluations uh, this past Tuesday night. Uh, All of our elders are involved in that evaluation. And then several of them sat down with us as we discussed our our work uh, in the previous year. This was a good night, a good conversation as it's been in years past. We were encouraged 
in our work, right, Matthew? We were encouraged. We were challenged to grow in different areas. Now, based on this dinner party situation, Jesus would have gotten very low marks on a performance evaluation for dealing with people. Poor listening skills, socially awkward, preaching when a sermon was not wanted. This is not the understanding, patient, divine teacher we expect Jesus to be. He's not being very pastoral at all. And then we remember that Jesus could get pretty upset sometimes. He was loving, caring, kind, but he also once said to the Pharisees in a different setting, you snakes, how will you avoid being condemned to hell? And then another time outside the temple, he picked up a whip and started snapping it. And he turned over the tables of people who were exploiting the poor with high interest and who were blocking the outward temple area that was to be for the Gentiles to worship God. So what was it that made our gentle, loving Jesus pick up a whip? What was it that would make him cause dinner guests to squirm in their seats? Well, it was his care for people, his love for people, especially those that no one else seemed to care about. Last week, we talked about how Jesus treated everybody with dignity because God created each person in his image. And so they have worth. What, would make, what made Jesus upset was those who didn't treat all God's children with the worth they deserve. The Pharisees were all about God's law, but the thing that the Pharisees missed and that made them legalists was that they missed the point and the purpose of the whole law. And we were reminded of that this morning. And it's one word. It's about love. That is the summary of the law. That is the purpose. That's what it's about. And love means seeing and valuing the worth God has placed on human life. We can be obsessed with the idea of worth. Try to figure out what is, my, what is our own net worth. We talk about the net worth of the 1% in the world. That was in the news the last week or two again. Or the worth of our car as, as we look it up in Kelly Blue Book. But Jesus impresses upon us the worth of human beings again and again and again. The worth of each person here. The worth of your neighbor. If you have a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person, says Jesus. He says, look at the birds of the air and how they don't worry and how the Father cares for them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet those Birds of such little worth, not one of them falls to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. When you care about someone, 
You notice all the details. A baby is born. We count all the fingers and toes. And and loving parents continue to pay close attention to all the details of their children. I can't speak for all the parents here, but for me and Sarah, if one of our kids comes home missing a finger or toe, we're going to notice it at some point. I mean, maybe not right away. Within a few days, we'll notice that. God's level of care trumps ours every day. Jesus said he counts our hairs. He notices the amount on our heads, whether you've only got a couple or whether you got a 100,000, which is about average for people who have hair on their head. Not even loving parents do that. That's the detail of his care for people. That's why Jesus brings that up, to tell us how much He loves people. Jesus is telling us that God's people matter to God more than anything else. Jesus came to the cross. He died a sinner's death. Why? For people. Our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit existed through all eternity. At one point, He decided to create this universe, make a plan of salvation for sinners. Why? God's perfect God is complete and whole in himself. He doesn't need anybody else, but he did it anyway for us, for his people. At the beginning of our verses, Jesus asks whether it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath with this poor, suffering sap standing there with this terrible disease in pain, dropsy. He's standing right there in front of him. Jesus is saying, in effect, do any of you have the courage to speak up for God's sick child here standing in our midst? Are you just going to go on with your dinner and ignore him? He asks him the question. Silence. Nothing. This does not please our Savior. And so with his compassion for poor souls, he confronts these self righteous dinner guests and he challenges them he looks at the host and he says you want to invite your friends and relatives and your rich neighbors to a banquet those you already know those who are easy to love and care for because they're all put together i say invite the poor the crippled the lame the blind in other words the struggling ones who no one else loves they can't repay you like your wealthy acquaintances because they got nothing but you will be repaid in heaven. Jesus cares even for these. And the last parable of the great banquet makes it even more clear. The banquet is a picture of heaven. And in his love for his people, Jesus extends an invitation to many. And this is the invitation God's word talks about. To believe in him. And the first group of guests makes these lame excuses. It refers mostly to the the children of Israel like the Pharisees and other religious leaders and people of Jesus' day who rejected Jesus. And so next the call goes out to the poor and the downtrodden of society who are always excluded, who are ignored, people like that guy with dropsy. Then beyond that, the invitation goes out to the country lanes. And that's referring, we think, to the gospel going out beyond Israel, to the Gentiles, to the nations of the world, as we've seen in the last two millennia. And and so Jesus is teaching these dinner guests about himself. 
our heavenly host who has a large embrace, a compassionate love, who invites many to his banquet table to feast on his salvation. As the Ortberg book we're following shares, Jesus' followers throughout the centuries have lived this out in powerful ways, catching the vision of God that Jesus came to bring us. We don't have time to go into this too much this morning, but you can check out more details in chapter 3 if you're using the book. But, but just check this out. The famous council of Nicaea, of Nyssa, 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 I'm not sure if it's Nyssa or Nyssa, maybe Matthew will tell, correct me later. That's where we get the Nicene Creed. It's one of the three ecumenical creeds. We got them in the back of our Psalter hymnal. A wonderful statement of our faith very careful theology summarizing the Bible. That same council, it did that wonderful doctrinal document, but also that council, very early on in the church, made this decision. They said wherever there was a cathedral, God's people also have to have a place for caring for the sick and the poor. And from those early centuries forward, The rise of hospitals came from God's people caring for hurting people. God's people listening to Jesus. The rise of orphanages too. They didn't exist until Jesus' followers started caring for helpless abandoned children. And the end to slavery being legal, that came from Christians, though it took a long time, longer than it probably should have. The historian Thomas Cahill writes, that Galatians 3.28 was the first statement of egalitarianism ever written in human literature. God's people are not perfect. They never will be. But God's people have brought this vision to our world. Jesus' very call of making room for many, making room even for the least of these, I want to end this morning with with two takeaways for us, a personal one and and one for our church as we look at our calling and mission. The first is each one of us is called to accept the invitation of Jesus to his banquet. Do you notice the very sobering word at the end of our text, verse 24, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Jesus is talking about that first group. They seem to sort of indicate they were going to come at first, but in the end, they did not come. They did not show up. They did not respond to Jesus' invitation. The salvation invitation goes out to everyone, but according to God's word, not everybody accepts it. And if you don't accept it, you'll be left out in the cold, says God's word. No salvation, you won't belong to the new heavens and the new earth. So we want to make sure that none of us are part of that first group. And we can have lame excuses today too, like, oh, I'll accept Jesus tomorrow. Or let me live the life life the way I want to for a little while, and then, then eventually, I don't know, maybe when I'm in my... 20s or 30s, eventually I'll submit to Jesus' reign for my life. When, when Jesus returns on the clouds, it's going to be too late. There won't be more room at that time. How do you accept the invitation now? 
You simply ask him into your heart. Be sure you've done that, brothers and sisters. And and if you're not sure what that means, if you're not sure how to do that, please, you can come to talk to me or Pastor Matthew after worship. We'd be happy to talk with you, happy to, to pray with you about this. Second, Jesus' teaching tells us about the church and what it looks like. It means something for how we here at Faith live out our mission of experiencing God's Word, expressing God's love, and equipping people for service. We include everyone God invites. That includes people not like us, unexpected people, the least of these, The guests at this dinner party Jesus attended clearly didn't get it. They weren't making room. Their vision was narrow. They they felt God loved them, but those outside the group, they weren't so sure about that. I don't think that we're like those dinner guests here at Faith. I think there are many ways that we make room at our church. I see it happening in many ways, in beautiful ways. But where can we do better? Where are our blind spots? Will truly all of God's children find a home here? And these are questions for our leaders, for our elders and our deacons, leaders in ministries and of small groups to ask and answer. Let's be sure we keep embracing the people Jesus is talking about in our text. Are we willing each one of us, to do what it takes for that to happen. And in most cases, it's what Jesus says, putting ourselves last and putting these others first. God will bless that. The point of it all, as it was for Jesus and his ministry, is caring for people with the love of God. If the focus of our Lord's death and resurrection. The heart of his work was to glorify the Father by saving people. Then the mission for his followers is to glorify God by reaching people. Every single one Jesus came to save. May God bless us as we make room for his children. May he continue to use faith, church powerfully with the help of God's mighty word and with his Holy Spirit. Amen.